You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Welcome to Metamorphosis. My name is Tina. And my name is Faison. Here on the Metamorphosis podcast, we are interviewing various physicians across BC with the aim of learning more about their specialties and helping us navigate our medical careers. We have a very special guest joining us today, Dr. Simon Moore. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Many UBC students know Dr. Moore from his clinical decision-making lectures and introduction to clinical experience lectures, notoriously known to use Slido and interact with the students. Uh, Dr. Moore, if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about your background and your journey to medicine. About how I never wanted to be a family doctor, and now I'm a family doctor? Precisely. Okay, sure. So when I started medical school, I was in the class of 2010 at VFMP in Vancouver, and I swore I was going to be either a general surgeon, maybe a trauma surgeon, or an eMERGE doc. And never in my mind did I ever consider that family medicine was going to be something I'd have any interest in. I thought it was just sitting in a clinic from 9 to 5, seeing hypertension over and over and over again with maybe some colds. And that was my conception of it. And it was actually through the course that I'm now one of the directors for through family medicine in second year that I suddenly realized maybe there's something more to family practice. And it actually took me years to learn what is a family doctor? What does a family doctor do? What does a career in family medicine look like? And it is so so diverse. There's so many different options that I had no idea, no comprehension of, of it. So I'm really glad that I had that experience as a second year medical student in focused family practice, seeing that, hold on, there's more to family medicine than just being in a clinic. Could you start off maybe with your education background, mm-hmm. how you got or were interested in medicine to begin with? So I was interested in medicine from high school, from early on, and it was kind of one of these things that I've always wanted to do. I've really enjoyed uh, the, the learning aspect of it. I've enjoyed the science, the, the academic part of it, and it didn't really jive with research. I tried doing some bench lab work, and it was really the, the social part of research that I really enjoyed, uh, you know, just like every pre-med says, science and interacting with people. But for me, that, that was really what it was, and it, it actually was years later, and I'll talk about it a bit later on, but it was years later that I realized that my true passion really involved something a little bit different. So it took a journey through medicine, through medical school, through residency, and working for a while to discover what that true passion really was. And what is that for you? So I probably should have been a teacher, to be honest. And the beauty of family medicine is that I can do as much or as little teaching as I want. And I can, I got to a point in my career when I said, you know, I want to be doing more teaching and I want to be getting paid to do more teaching. And that actually opened up the venue to be a bit entrepreneurial and to start a teaching company. And so that really opened my eyes that being a family doctor, again, doesn't mean being in a clinic for 40 or 50 hours a week. There's so many different opportunities. And coming full circle, it's kind of interesting. The, the Latin word for doctor is docere, and it means to teach, which is surprising because some doctors are terrible teachers. <laughs> So going back to what you mentioned earlier about you wanting or aspiring to be a general surgeon or eMERGE doc, what was it in those specialties that drew you away from pursuing that path? And then what, conversely, drew you to being a family doctor specifically? So I had this, this problem when I was in clerkship that a lot of future family doctors have. And it's that every month when I was doing something different, I would see myself in that role. I was like, you know, I could do psychiatry. I could, I could do family medicine. I could do emergency. I could do surgery. And really by the end of clerkship, I started to realize there's only one specialty that lets you do all of those things. 
And I didn't even realize it at the time, but the fact that there's so much more flexibility in and of itself within family medicine, I didn't discover that for years later. And I'm really glad that I've had that opportunity. And I think one of the most interesting parts of it is that my values have totally changed, totally changed. When I was a med student, I'd hear stories, I'd read, read surgi- surgical resident blogs and, and talk, read about how they're in the hospital all night long and they're doing case after case. And I thought it was amazing and I thought it was a fantasy world. I thought that would be wonderful. You get to do so much. But your, your mindset shifts when you fall in love and you have kids and you have a family and you have other passions that you want to pursue. And then you realize that at the end of the day, every job is really just a job. And if it takes you away from the things you want to be doing and it isn't what you want to be doing, then it can end up being a really sad situation. So I'm in this situation now that I love, that I get to do what I love, I get to do what I love in my job, and I get to explore passions outside of that, and I don't have to feel like I'm tied down at all. Could you talk to us a little bit about those passions? Sure. So one of my favorite things to do is teaching, and I'm always looking for different ways to teach and different opportunities. So I teach students and I teach residents, and I've started to get more and more invitations to present at medical conferences. I got an email asking me to present at a hospitalist conference and I said, that's amazing. Yeah, I'd love to come teach in Whistler at a hospitalist conference. You do realize I'm not a hospitalist. <laughs> I had to explain to them that I wasn't. But they, they said, you know, we, we've seen you teach before. We love your teaching. We want you to come and do it. And it's it's been a dream to be able to go somewhere. And I've been flown across the country to, to teach. And I, I can still remember sitting on that airplane the first time thinking, I can't believe that I actually get to do this. It was so exciting, so much fun. And so... I'm always thinking about you know new ways to teach, new opportunities, new techniques, um, new technologies, ways that I can make things more interesting and make things more engaging, and that's really what um, what I enjoy the most. And when I look at my clinical practice, the clinical environments that I really enjoy the most, the types of work that I enjoy the most, are the ones when I have that flexibility and I can teach patients and I can talk to them about their medical conditions and the impact of those conditions. And I can explain things to people. And so those clinical situations in which I get to teach are the ones that I've enjoyed the most. It sounds like you're at a place in your career now where people are seeking you out. But how do you get your foot in the door? In terms of teaching? Mm-hmm. So it varies depending on where in the country you are. So I did a locum in Ontario for about six months. And I emailed a couple of medical schools. And I said, I'd love to come teach. I'd love to give some lectures. The residents have always rated me very highly. Can I come teach in your program? And I got a few emails back saying, no thanks, we're full. And in some parts of the country, you actually need a master's degree if you're going to be doing medical education. Here out on the West Coast, things are a little bit different right now in, in late 2018. And we are looking actively for teachers, especially clinical teachers in family practice. And that's a big part of my job at UBC is trying to find preceptors. So if you want to be a teacher in Vancouver as a physician, it's actually quite straightforward because there's a lot of opportunities. When it comes to conference presentations, again, it was one of these things where I just made the opportunity for myself. I submitted an abstract to a conference, it got accepted, and so I went ahead and did it. And then I did that again, I did it again. And a lot of these opportunities now, I don't even know where they come from. People say, oh, I heard you speak, or someone else told me about you. One person said that they looked at a list of speakers at a different conference, and they Googled the names, and they emailed me out of the blue. And asked me to come present. So it's been interesting seeing how these things come together. Some of them very intentionally on my part and some of them not at all. 
Could you talk about different avenues that family medicine could lead towards that maybe is not common knowledge? Oh my gosh, how much time do we have? So um, starting at the very um, core of it, if you do family medicine residency, you're trained to the level that you should be able to practice rurally or urban and to do cradle-to-grave care, or as one of our preceptors calls it, diaper-to-diaper medicine, from the beginning of life to the end of life. So for a lot of doctors, that involves being in a clinic, and some doctors love that. They love the stability. They love that they know all their patients. They love that they're in the same location every day. Personally, I prefer a little bit of variety, and so I've done a little bit more work rurally up in Northwest Territories or in Ontario, uh, in rural BC as well. And again, right now, the opportunities abound, and there's lots of opportunity to do that. Um, that has given me the opportunity to do some more acute care, some more emergency medicine, as well as the clinic stuff. There's a wide variety of fellowships that are sanctioned by the College of Family Physicians, and there's also a broad amount of fellowships that aren't. I did one of the ones that wasn't an official fellowship. So the, the most common ones um, that residents often do after doing three years or two years of family medicine, maybe going to be three years soon, is uh, they'll do a third year in emergency medicine or they'll do a third year in palliative care. Sometimes people will do a third year in women's health. I did a, uh, about a six-month extra training in global health when I finished my residency. And the, there's dozens of other options. There's sports medicine, there's addictions medicine, there's geriatrics, or care of the elderly as they call it in family practice. And I mean, really anything that you want to do in medicine, there's, there's opportunity for that in family medicine. I know family doctors who are coroners. I know family doctors who um, work exclusively rurally. I know family doctors who um, do surgical assists or they've got a certificate in dermatology. And so the opportunities are way broader than I ever expected when I was a medical student. So it sounds like you have a lot of passions as we talked about, and there's a lot of things that you're doing. Could you walk us through what a typical day looks like for you? So my typical day is that there's no typical day. So this morning I was doing a video with faculty development. They asked me to talk about some techniques on lecturing. This afternoon I'm teaching a lecture to some residents. Earlier today I was working on a lecture for some undergraduate students. And tomorrow I'm working at one of my clinical jobs. So I'll be, uh, I've just started work at an urgent care clinic in Vancouver. And next month, I'll be starting at a family health team in Surrey. So before that, I mean, for the last six years, I've been locoming. Again, I mentioned I was working in Northwest Territories in clinics or Emerge. I was working in Ontario, working in many different clinics around Vancouver, either as short as I've done a half day in one clinic, and I left quickly and didn't ever go back. I've done uh, full mat leaves for up to a year, covering a doctor and basically being the family doctor for their practice while they've been away on mat leave. So... I mean, that's one of the things I love about my career and love, love about my job is that every day looks different. There's tons of variety, and I have so many days of the week that I sit and think, I can't believe that I'm getting paid to do this. So what do you have to say to people who think family medicine is boring, that maybe you're just filling prescriptions all day? Yeah, please don't do family medicine and, and leave it for the rest of us who think it's actually really interesting and exciting. And so you know, in no seriousness, though, I can relate to that because that was my view of family medicine. And I don't do 40 hours a week of family practice. I've, I've done that very, very little in my career. Uh, I don't know if I could do 40 hours a week of in-clinic family medicine. And so I don't. And the beauty of family practice is that it's given me the flexibility to do that more if I choose to or to do it less if I choose to. And I get to take care of patients and I get to fulfill my passions. And it's been an incredible journey. What are some of the challenges of being a family doctor? So there's a wide variety of challenges in 
founding practice is at. We are jack of, jacks of all trade, but masters of none, as, as the saying goes. So there's really very few things that I know inside and out. You have to get used to uncertainty. You have to get used to knowing when to refer, who to refer to, can be even a big challenge in, in clinical medicine. And this was something that you struggle with when you're in residency, but near the end of my residency, I, I knew I was ready to practice because I realized, you know, I don't know how to manage everything. I don't know how to treat or diagnose everything, but I feel like I've been well prepared in the most important things and recognizing the most important things and recognizing when to seek help and when to go beyond. And so that's, I mean, I've, I've spoken to many specialist colleagues who say, you know, I couldn't do general practice, the, the uncertainty, having to know so much about so many different things. Whereas um, for me, I don't think that I could do a day as a specialist knowing that it's the same thing and being an expert in one area is, is something that isn't my personality style. Other challenges of family medicine, so as a locum family doctor, it can be really hard to move around all the time. It can be hard to be away from family. That was something that I had to deal with when I worked up north a bit more, and that's one of the reasons I don't work up north as much. It can be challenging when you're applying for a mortgage and they say, where's your pay stub? And I pull out one from working up north and one from a clinic here and one from a clinic there. And then I pull out six or seven from University of British Columbia because I get paid very different ways for all the different work I do for them. So the administrative side of it can be a challenge as well. There are some of these aspects of the hidden curriculum that people talk about. Um, I've had med students tell me that they go to clerkship and they hear things like, oh, you're too smart to be a family doctor, mm-hmm. which is a, a real shame that um, people disparage other professions in, the, in that way, um, that there's an impression that uh, being a family doctor is something you do if you can't get into anything else. Fortunately, I think that medical students are, are becoming wise to this and, and be, becoming a family doctor is becoming more and more competitive and it can be harder to match to family medicine because people are starting to realize that there's a lot of rewards, there's a lot of flexibility, but there's also um, there's, there's a lot to be said for doing primary care. So as you kind of touched on, there's this culture um, amongst medical students about family medicine and their perception of what it is. And a lot of students talk about how you need certain traits to be a specialist or a certain personality to be involved in primary care. Do you believe that to be true or do you feel that it's quite diverse in the field? Well, I can't speak out of both sides of my mouth because I know that match day was one of the most fascinating moments of my life. Watching these people that I've come to know very well for four years and seeing them all get shoehorned into their little boxes and being like, yep, that person definitely an orthopedic surgeon, that person definitely a nephrologist, that person definitely a pathologist. And seeing these people get into their boxes, it was really, really interesting. But the fact is with family medicine is there were a lot of people in my class that matched a family that we were like, oh my gosh, that person did family medicine? And they'd say, yeah, this is what I've wanted to do. This is what fits my personality, what fit my passions. Uh, some of the smartest people in our class matched to family medicine and kind of shattered my, my paradigm that, oh, family medicine is just one small area of medicine, when in fact it's, it's hugely diverse and it can attract and fulfill the careers of many different people with many different personalities. Do you find those people that you're talking about now, are they satisfied in their jobs years later? Absolutely, yeah. I know one colleague who didn't match to their chosen specialty and they ended up doing family medicine. And they told me later on that it was the best thing that could have ever happened to them because of all the opportunity now. And when they look at the the things you don't think about as a med student or the things that you don't hear about as a med student, the realities of what what's it really like year after year after year being on call all the time 
or having a frequent call schedule or being told there's no jobs in this specialty in the town you want to be. And I mean, I was disillusioned when I was a med student too. I used to think it was a dream to be in the hospital all night, every night doing surgery. But as you age and as your values change and as you mature, sometimes those things stick with you and sometimes they don't. Do you think there's any way to know if your values will change in that direction? Can you predict it? I wonder if it's really that my values changed or that I just haven't really accepted them. So I think that the, the two most useful exercises are to ask yourself, where will you be in five years? Which I, I always hated that question because I didn't know the answer. But when I look back and think about it, that was my answer is that I love variety and I love not knowing the future and I love knowing that you know if I want my career to change on a dime then I can do that and family medicine has given me that opportunity if I want to do more teaching I can if I want to do more clinical I can and the other exercise that I think would be really useful early on in your career is to sit and think in a perfect world money's no object I can do whatever I want what would my ideal week look like and I did that exercise a, a brief while ago and I mean at first glance I used to think like Oh, be, if I had no, if money was no object, but what I want to do, I'd want to sit around and do nothing because I wouldn't have to worry about paying bills. But then I realized that wasn't true and that even if I didn't have to pay the bills, I probably still would do a bit of clinical medicine and I would probably do a lot of teaching. And yeah, I'd spend more time with my family and I'd spend more time doing some of the other things I enjoy. But when you think about it, as a career in family medicine, I've been able to say, well, I can actually move very close towards that view of what an ideal week looks like. And so I think that it's valuable for a student to do that early on because um, you may be surprised at, at the answer that you get. Just bringing it back to our previous question, do you find there is a certain personality type more suited to family medicine? I don't think there's a one personality for family medicine because there's so many diverse and different careers within family medicine. There's so many different opportunities. I mean, maybe there's some people who are more suited to doing emergency medicine after they do family medicine. Maybe there's people who are more suited to doing research in family medicine. But family medicine is so broad that it's really difficult to capture one kind of set of characteristics or traits that would make up a good family doctor. So when you see a medical student who's working with you, who do you want to work with? What are those traits that you pick out and you're like, this is someone I could see myself working with in the future? So I just went through all of the passports for the second year class and there was a couple of students that the preceptors took the time to write and make a comment about, you know, this student was exceptional and they really stood out. And when you see comments like that, they never talk about this student could name all the factors of the clotting cascade or this student knew every drug in every class. It's really more about how do they connect with someone? And I heard it in, in an emergency medicine podcast about how no one's ever going to ask you for your diploma. And it's true, no one's ever asked me as a patient to see my degree or my college license. And nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And it sounds cliche and it sounds ridiculous, but I had a period in my career when I was working really hard and I, I was focusing on just getting the job done. And I realized I was losing that part of medicine. I was losing that part of what makes a good med student. I wasn't doing it because I was just trying to get the work done. And when you stop and think about, you know, the patients even don't even care if you make the right diagnosis 100% of the time, but if you've heard them out and you've listened to them and they know that you're going to be with them every step of the way and that you're there to support them and understand their perspective, that can be infinitely more valuable than here's the 10 things you need to do. Have a nice day. Goodbye. 
So we look for those things in our medical students, and that's how we know a med student is exceptional, is when they can they can take the scientific knowledge, which all med students have. They wouldn't be med students if they didn't have that. But they take the time to think about how is this going to affect the patient on a deeper level, or what's really important to this patient, or even just what's something about the patient that that I didn't know before. And I, I think my favorite question about that is from Atul Gawande, Dr. Atul Gawande. He gave an address at a graduating class and he told the students, ask every patient an unscripted question. When you have an encounter with a patient, ask them something that isn't part of your typical CHF history or your, your renal failure history. Ask them about a career choice or a hobby. And you start to see your day as being full of fascinating, interesting people as opposed to being the CHF in bed four and the renal failure in bed six that you've got to get through so that you can get home at the end of the day. So you said you just graded those yellow cards uh, for family practice. One of the feedback, yeah, <laughs> thank yeah, you. <laughs> One of the feedback comments that I got was I took too long saying goodbye to patients and mm-hmm. doing my interviews. Mm-hmm. How do you balance everything you've described now with taking the time to get to know your patient and listening to them, with the very practical and real demands of having a busy schedule, needing to see all of your patients, and being efficient? Yeah, I love that question because it's so intricate. And to be honest. The answer, I, I would have hated this answer as a med student, but it does come with time. So I remember having preceptors tell me, you know, you, you're going to have to push a bit harder. you got to see a bit more people because you're going to have to keep the lights on. And for years, I worked in fee-for-service. Like, you see one patient, and you get $31. You see two patients, and you get $62. And so when someone comes in and they say, I've, I'm really struggling, it's really easy to say, well, that's, that's tough for you. Have a nice day. I've got another patient to see, and you can cash in pretty quickly if you do that. And so very early on, I realized that that model didn't sit well with me. So I would, I mean, I was the worst walk-in doctor ever because I was the one asking those deeper questions. And, and what do you mean that you're having a tough week? Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. And I didn't churn through a lot of patients and I didn't make a lot of money in walk-in. But there's other opportunities that I've, that I've pursued. For example, working rurally, working up north, there was a ton of time. They, they have charting breaks in the morning and the afternoon. If you run overtime because you're taking more time with patients, then that's fine because there isn't as much demand. And so finding those opportunities that fit my personality was, was really, really rewarding for me. And now I've sought out some opportunities in the city, uh, closer to home, closer to my family, that allow me to practice in that way as well. So I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I want to provide the worst possible medical care. But at the end of the day, you'll find out what that balance is for yourself and then you'll look for opportunities that allow you to practice in that way and keep the lights on. Do you support fee-for-service, or is there another model that you would think suits the care of BC residents? Well, if we moved only to salary payment for physicians, then we would all see two or three patients a day, and we would we'd love it. Um, so that's, that's the extreme example. So actually, I know that's not true, though, because... I just started in a brand new clinic, it's a salaried role, and they haven't publicized it yet, they haven't had a grand opening yet, and so some of our early days we got two or three patients a day, and it was terrible, it was so boring to sit around, <laughs> and we were all so excited when a patient finally showed up and we could actually help someone and have the time to help them. So we do need a bit of a balance, we need an opportunity to say, you know, um, there's got to be a minimum, but that's going to be a little bit different for everybody. And so having that flexibility and being in a role where there is that flexibility can be very, very helpful. Um, I don't think that 
just fee-for-service is right for everybody. I think it's very helpful in some situations. Um, and that's why they're doing research on this. Nobody knows the best way to pay a doctor, and they're looking into blended models. I've worked in a clinic that was patient-based funding. So the clinic got paid based on the number of patients that they had. Um, I've worked in other clinics that are purely salary. Um, I've worked in other clinics that they get bonuses if they do preventive care. So sure enough, they line up all their patients at the end of the year and they get all their pap smears done right before the end of the year so they can get their extra bonuses. So, I mean, at the end of the day, compensation drives performance. We know that for sure. Compensation drives performance. The way you pay a doctor is going to be what the outcome is, but people are always going to end up, um, intentionally or not, cutting corners and and you're always going to have some outliers. So in a fee-for-service system, you're always going to have some doctors who see 50, 60, 70 patients a day and crank through all that money. In a completely salaried system, you're going to have some doctors who sit and do very little and don't see as many patients. So what is the perfect blend? Nobody knows. Um, I think, I don't know, maybe 100 years from now, it might have something to do with a personality. It might have to do with the patient complexity. Um, it might be something altogether completely different. Who knows? And do you find most family physicians are satisfied with the compensation they receive for their work? So most family physicians are paid fee-for-service. That's by far and away the going rate right now in BC. The government of BC in 2018 announced that they're introducing some new salary positions uh, for younger physicians. Unfortunately, they've, um, they've said that here's your base salary and you have to subtract your overhead from that salary. So when you do the math, it actually wasn't a very good package according to the Society of General Practitioners of BC. So um, I think doctors are really good at complaining, med students are really good at complaining, it's, it's something that we do very well and I don't think we're ever going to have a group of intellectual, highly motivated people being all completely happy. Um, I think things are, I, I don't think right now that every doctor is perfectly thrilled with how they're paid. but. I've seen outliers on every side when I talk to people. I've, I've seen some people who say, you know, this is ridiculous, we do so much work, we don't get paid for it. I've spoken to other doctors who say, you know, it's it's ridiculous how much money I make for what I do. And I think part of that is personality. I think it's how they do their own job. But it's also because the compensation scheme is changing. It's, it's very different now than it used to be. And when you look at some of the initiatives of divisions of family practice and the, the financing that the government has, has um, Instead of giving doctors a raise, they said, well, let's fund some of these other initiatives like divisions of family practice. And they've turned out to be really useful and really engaging. And now that I know what that looks like, I wouldn't ever go back and say, oh, I want a 0.8% raise. I would say, no, put the money into the divisions because they've been able to find out what are the pain points of doctors in this community because there's a different division for each community. And they can say, let's solve those pain points. One example is in White Rock, they said, we spend all this time trying to find locums and to do the administration for that. And so the Division of Family Practice was able to hire an admin person to do that. In other communities, they say, we um, have so much trouble finding a good specialist, which specialist is available, which has a short wait list. And so from the Divisions of Family Practice came this initiative called Pathways, which is an online curated database of what specialists there are and what they see and what they don't see and what their wait list is. So I think that... We may not be making as much money now, but I think that our job quality and job satisfaction has increased uh, because of some of these initiatives. And so I think it's way better now than it was even when I started practicing. Where do you see the future of family medicine heading? So the College of Family Physicians has 
really pushed this initiative called the Patients Medical Home. That's been one of their biggest projects, and they've gotten a lot of buy-in from the federal government as well as provincial governments. And now we see in BC, we are starting to see some more models of the Patients Medical Home. So no longer is it just one doctor puts up a sign, sees patients in their office, and is very isolated, but instead it's it's a bit of a community in which there's a team that takes care of the patient and. There's a lot of different ways this is implemented. In Ontario, I've worked there where they've done this. It's been done in Alberta. It's being started up a bit more in Vancouver, in Surrey as well. And so I think that we are seeing an era in which patient care is being moved out of the hospital, into the community, into the home. But it's also being moved out of the subspecialized areas and more into primary care teams. And why not have a primary care team take care of something which we know improves outcomes and we know it is cheaper in the long run as opposed to admitting someone to the hospital and getting it done there. So that's definitely been the trend in the last few years where primary care has been going. Where we're going to end up in the next few years or five years or ten years. I think it's going to be really interesting because doctors of all varieties and doctors of all specialties are, are different now because no longer do we live in an era where the smartest people got into med school, period. Now there's so many other factors and you've got to have an impressive application and you have to have climbed Kilimanjaro or cured a few forms of cancer because just one isn't good enough anymore. And so when those med students graduate, well, well, they want to climb K2 or they want to climb Everest or they want to cure a couple other forms of cancer. They don't want to live in the hospitals. They don't want to spend all of their lives just seeing patients from 6 a.m. until 9 p.m. And so... I think as the workforce, as medical students become doctors and as doctors want to pursue work-life balance more effectively, I think that medicine's going to have to shift because we do have a very similar number of doctors now than we used to have, but it's um, uh, doctors are, are seeing patients in very different ways than we ever did before, and so the, the system's going to have to shift to accommodate that. And what does uh, work-life balance look like for you? So my personal view of work-life balance is that it's a complete and utter myth and that you absolutely should not strive for work-life balance. You should accept the fact that you are going to fall on one side or the other. And once you embrace that fact, then you view the whole situation very differently. So I like to think about, you know, what do people say on their deathbeds? I wish I worked more. I wish I spent more time at work. No, never. People say, I, I, spend, I wish I spent more time pursuing my passions. I, I wish I spent more time with my family. And so I've deliberately tried to lean towards that side of the pendulum. And that creates stress in and of itself when you've got mortgages and you've got student loans to pay off. And I have not paid mine off nearly as quickly as other doctors have. But when I think of what the other option is, is that, well, I could have paid off my loans very quickly if I didn't see my family ever, but then I might not have a family anymore. So that's my perspective on work-life balance. It doesn't exist. And so pick which side you're going to fall on and embrace it. One of the big advantages of doing family medicine that you mentioned is the huge variety um, and the opportunity to be able to pursue your different interests within medicine. Is there a specific area of medicine that you absolutely cannot dip your toes into through family medicine? It's, it's hard to answer that because you know you think about some things like surgery but if you go rural enough you can do extra training you can do surgery as a GP you can do GP surgery you can do appendectomies you can do c-sections I mean as a family doctor you're never going to be doing brain surgery legally you're never mm-hmm. going to be doing um, uh, 
complex management of, of neurological conditions or endocrine abnormalities. So there are definitely some areas that you can't dive deep into. But when it comes to most of it, you can get quite deep. You can get deep into research. You can get deep into sports medicine. You can get deep into um, some technical procedures. You can even get certificates of added competence or specialize in some areas and do consults. You can do, do consults in dermatology or uh, you can do consults in palliative care and then be seen as a, as a form of specialist in, in your own right based on your experience and your training. So that's the beauty of it. The other, the other advantage too is not only is there flexibility within the career, but the flexibility can be very, um, it can be very uh, abrupt. It, you can very quickly change focus. You can very quickly change gears. I spoke, when I was interested in doing a bit more rural medicine, I spoke to some doctors and one doctor I spoke to, she said she'd worked in a, a city clinic for dozens and dozens of years and near the end of her career, she said, I want to do some rural medicine. And she was able to get some training and go and do it. So yeah, there's flexibility in some specialties. I mean, when you say the word surgeon, there's hundreds of different kinds of surgeons that you could be. But if you become a general surgeon or you become an endocrine surgeon or you become a pediatric neuroendocrine surgeon, how quickly can you change into a different career and find work in that specialty? It's a lot more challenging with those than in family medicine. So I think at the end of the day, it's a personality thing. I don't think that it's bad to become a specialist. It, it just wasn't for me. It wasn't my personality. And I very, very highly value my specialist colleagues and really appreciate the support they give, especially the ones that really get what it's like working in rural areas and can really provide useful support. But at the end of the day, I'm really glad that they do what they do, and I'm really glad that I do what I do. So just switching gears a little bit, going to uh, medical education, uh, you mentioned that you're very passionate about this, and I know that you've also said, quote-unquote, that you've declared wars on uh, boring lectures. Uh, I was wondering what you think of um, the future of medical education is uh, at UBC or in general. The nice thing about medical education is that it is changing and that I've seen, even in my short time at UBC, I've seen initiatives where at the high level and at the, the micro level as well, that it's no longer okay to stand up in front of the class and do a boring slide deck of 350 slides in what's supposed to be 50 minutes, but it takes 65 or 70, you just keep going Thank you for saying that. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I lived through that as a student and that's how medicine used to be. And it still is in some places, but like I said this morning, I was talking with faculty development, filming a video for them about how do we give better lectures in undergrad and how do we give better lectures at conferences. And there's not a lot of funding for, here, take six hours and revamp your lecture and make it better. So we need people who are passionate about that and who can recognize that that's not, it's not okay to teach in the old-fashioned way. But I think as we accept more people to medical school who have more diverse backgrounds, we're going to have more people who are naturally passionate about and attracted to high-quality education. And the nice thing is that there is research in this area. So I've changed things that I do because I've seen publications that say this doesn't work or that doesn't work. And as we gain that body of knowledge and it becomes more re well-recognized that high-quality medical education is valued, then I think things are only going to get better. As a family physician working in both an urban setting and up north, and with a wide variety of things you do see in your practice, where do you think we need the most help in our BC healthcare system? We need primary care yesterday. There's so many people who don't have a family doctor. And, you know, when I was a med student, I used to think it would drive me nuts having a patient come in and say, oh, I've had this headache for years and it's not going away, or 
oh, I need these forms filled out. But now that I've done the job, I realize how much I can help people. And I can realize if option A didn't work, there's option B. And if option B didn't work, there's option C. And if I don't know what option D is, I can talk to someone who does. And I've really, really enjoyed that experience of being able to help people and and really get to the bottom of their issues. And there's so much that can be done at the primary care level. And if we had more family doctors, and if everybody had a family doctor, then we wouldn't have people showing up to emerge to get things done. Or we wouldn't have to have specialists managing minor conditions. Um, and I'm not saying that they're not skilled or capable. Of course they are. But if you think about if every neurologist was able to delegate a lot of the, the work that they did to primary care providers, if we had enough of them, if every gynecologist wasn't doing contraception, if every internist wasn't managing tons of hypertension, well, then they could see the more complex things and they could have shorter wait lists and patients would be better served at the end of the day. Do you have any final words of wisdom for students transitioning to clerkship or residency? So when it comes to deciding on your career, I mean, it seems like a very final thing. You decide what you're going to do in CARMS and you lock it in and you turn the key and all of a sudden it's done. And that's what you are for the rest of your life. And it's so not like that. When I worked for the Canadian Association of Residents, which is now Resident Doctors of Canada, we surveyed residents and we know that 10% of residents think about switching to a different specialty after they match. And that number is only increasing. It's becoming easier. It's becoming more widely accepted. And it's no longer seen as bizarre that, oh my gosh, you want to do something different? And we, we've, we live in a different era now. Back years ago, you'd get your job at the department store in your youth and you'd work there until you, you retired. And we're seeing in business that people pivot and they shift and they switch careers. And in medicine, people are doing that more and more now as well. So I think that just because you may not know perfectly what you want to do today, that's fine. Just because you think you know what you want to do today, that's fine. But in the future, this may change and you may have the opportunity to say, hold on, what I really like doing is this or that. And you do have the opportunity to find that in the future as well. Just because you may feel like today you aren't following your passions or you don't know what your passions are, that's fine. It took me five or six years after graduating medical school, after graduating residency, to be able to say, you know, this is the number one thing that I like to do. This is my number one passion and being able to structure my life to pursue that. Just in closing now, we have a very good friend and colleague, Dylan Collins, who once told us, family medicine is the easiest uh, specialty to do poorly in and the hardest to do well in. Do you have any comments on that? I think you can call it in in any specialty if you just want to show up and punch the clock and say I was there. I think that if you want to be a good family doctor, I think it comes back to what we talked about before. I think you have to care about your patients. And... It's so easy to check out and it's so easy to say, you know, life is too tough or I'm too busy. And the first thing that you notice is you start to despise the patients. And I had this experience once and I looked back at the end of my day and I said, what's changed? I mean, these are the same patients I've been seeing for the last several months. The patients haven't changed. Maybe I'm the one who's changed. And that's when I really realized that you can just show up and call it in and and do a lousy job. And it's very easy to focus on trying to get someone out the door. And it takes a lot more effort to say, hold on, no, let's dive into that problem and let's, and let's help you solve that. And the challenge with that is that you, it takes a lot of time to do that, time that you could be doing a lot of the other responsibilities you have. And it also takes a lot of emotional energy, especially when you may have a patient who has a condition that means that it's difficult to treat them or difficult to talk to them. 
And when I have those experiences, that's when I really try and stop myself and I say, hold on, why am I getting frustrated? A lot of times the patient can't help it or it's nothing to do with them. And having to stop and think about, you know, am I treating this patient the same way that I would treat everybody else? And when I stop and think about that, then I realize, you know, maybe there's there's something different I should be doing. Maybe there's um, maybe there's a better way I could be helping this patient. And unfortunately, it takes a lot of effort to do that, and it can be emotionally draining. So yeah, I would agree, it can be hard to do a really good job all day, every day. But if you're in a situation where you're pursuing your passions and you love your days and you love going to work, then it can be very rare that you actually end up resenting your days. Thank you so much, Dr. Moore, uh, for your time, and thank you for joining us, and we wish you all the best in your future practice. Thank you. It's been a treat. Thank you so much. Take care. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 